As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up you're listening to the Tom Pickman Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. We're home. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And Harry, thank you for that introduction. It's always good to hear your voice. That was Harry, our station manager, WNHH. And I was kidding, uh, WNHH 103.5 FM. I was kidding in my sometimes sarcastic way, Harry, about his uh, uh, tattoos. And he mentioned that there's a kind of a tribal identification with his tattoos. And I really appreciated him mentioning that because in some ways we're going to go down history lane in terms of uh, what tribes, current and current tribes, past tribes and future tribes, uh, and from, from a healing modality standpoint. But in a very real sense, we're going to chat with uh, really uh, Dr. Jordan Schlossauer and about some I would say monumental uh, activities that are taking place in terms of healing and wholeness and uh, medical interventions. Uh, Dr. Schlossauer is a psychiatrist, he's a researcher and an educator. And his work quite frankly focuses on therapeutic applications of something called, and I say something cause this might be a new term for you. It might be a, an old term for some, but it's, going, it's, it's, it's an expanding term that's gonna be really in my mind, uh, very much a part of a person's vernacular and, and the public awareness, but therapeutic applications of psychedelic medicines. And in particular, how these, and some people will say these are novel treatments, but some of these treatments uh, have been, to say ancient is an understatement, uh, going back into millennia, but, some, but at any rate, how some of the, his, these treatments that he's involved with, and you'll hear more about that, that service delivery and that availability, but how these treatments can be delivered in a manner that promotes holistic healing and social justice. Just as an editorial comment, I love when the people use the term social justice. For me, I like to just also add on as an addendum, economic justice. But Dr. Schlossauer is a, he's co-director of the West Rock Wellness PLC in New Haven, which has just opened and it's uh, almost a catty corner to Edgewood Park here in New Haven. And we're going to hear more about the West Rock Wellness Center. And he's also a clinical instructor in the Yale Department of Psychiatry. I want to just share with people that he's co-founded. Co and I love when people start something. We hear about innovation, creativity, starts up, startups. But it's important. It, it's, it's important. And it's not easy to start something. And I'm comfortable, comfortable in saying that this is not just a startup, but it's going to be a sustained effort. But he's, he's, he's co-founded the Yale Psychedelic Science Science Group and served as an investigator and therapist in several clinical trials of psilocybin-assisted therapy. We did a show on psilocybin a few months ago with uh, Dr. John Crystal. Uh, Dr. Jordan is also a clinical investigator in, in the MAPS, the MAPS Expanded Access Program for MDMA, and we'll kind of unpack those acronyms, uh, MDA, MDMA-assisted therapy of post-traumatic stress disorder, related to racial trauma. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion about racial trauma and whether who's subject to racial trauma. And quite frankly, I'll throw in as an addendum that even white folks are suffering from, from, from racial trauma. Um, 
there's a certain um, oh sometimes some a certain liability about locating your identity in just one particular category that might be a uh, a false identity. But Dr. Um, Jordan's uh, Schlossauer's his inter interdisciplinary work and perspective is 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 really kind of packaged or informed or um, connected to his prior training in medical anthropology. And you might say, what is medical anthropology? We'll ask him that question. And global health. And his deep interest in the ceremonial use of plant medicines. And again, this references my uh, using the word of uh, tribal and ancient history. He also has, he also has a, a firm and, and uh, passionate uh, commitment to what, 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 one, what, what one might call Buddhist philosophy. And lastly, the integrative uh, approaches to hold a whole holistic approach to what do we mean by mental, spiritual, and uh, physical health. Uh, Dr. Schlossauer, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for that lovely introduction and for having me here. I, I normally don't go into such detail with a person's background, but I just want to kind of set the stage and really kind of to tease our audience that although we have about another 45 minutes remaining, this might not be just a one-off discussion. I'll, I'll put that out there right now. Hopefully yeah, there's, could... there's a lot of threads we could, we could cover for sure. Great. And I'm looking forward to maybe having a second or third or re related discussions with you. Let, let's maybe jump off. Uh, we met through the, uh, uh, in a way, through the Yale Center for Clinical Investigation, their cultural ambassadors program, and maybe kind of uh, explain uh, how we be became acquainted there a little bit and and maybe some of the work you were doing at that time. And, and also, uh, you were kind enough to mention that you have also a, a keen interest in, we hear this word, uh, this acronym DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. So um, since the time I was doing my training in psychiatry at, at Yale, so it goes back about seven, eight years ago, I became interested in this area of, of psychedelic therapy and uh, was running a, a, a small clinical trial looking at psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy in the treatment of depression. And for those who may not be familiar, psilocybin is the active ingredient in what's commonly called magic mushrooms. Uh, and we paired, uh, paired um, just limited one or two sessions of drug therapy in a very supported setting with uh, a broader course of psychotherapy for folks who are experiencing depression. Um, and we were interested in how that works, whether it works. And we recently uh, completed that study after quite a few years. Um, and I was involved in, in a few other studies related to that same psilocybin therapy. And, you know, as I was going along that journey, which is so fascinating and a lot of promise um, in the field, what was uh, and certainly getting more attention over the last five years or so was that although this was, you know, being called the psychedelic renaissance, a lot of excitement, um, that there was really a glaring issue related to um, diversity in this particular field, as there is for a, for a lot of uh, areas of mental health, but significant disparities in, in terms of uh, the participants who were in the trials, as well as the investigators and therapists who are being trained, being um, predominantly white, predominantly in the uh, upper socioeconomic class, um, and all this kind of hype and new data was was not being there wasn't a broad representation 
in this in this area and so um luckily i was I, I got connected with dr monica williams who was uh working at uconn at the time and, and she's now um, the chair for uh, equity and uh, disparities in mental health up at the university of ottawa but we she had a particular interest in uh, MDMA therapy and addressing some of these equity issues and, and actually looking at uh, developing a sub-study to look at actually the application in racial trauma. Um, and then through that sort of continued to, um, we and a few others sort of started an initiative called Equity and Psychedelic Therapy Initiative um, to try to just get together and think of, think critically about some of these issues um, in the space. And so not sure exactly how we got you know the cultural mm -hmm. ambassadors kind of i think um came across some of this work and and reached out and yes, yes. we were thinking you know how could we as we yale is becoming a leader in this line of research na uh, nationwide you know could we be uh how could we do better in terms of recruitment and uh yeah. bringing more representative samples into the studies that we were uh running at yale so i think that was Part, at least part of the story of how we came together. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Sh should we jump to the to the clinic, or should we just so kind of work our way toward up up to that? Because in in some ways, your the opening uh, of the clinic, uh, I think, can kind of let people know that this is not a an experiment, but this your but your but this is operational. On the other hand, uh, in terms of people's familiarity with psychedelics and whether they've seen the Netflix show or whether they've read any of the Michael Pollan stuff or whether they know know who uh, uh, any of the, the or Leary or the or, or Nixon and the connections with uh, political re repression of, of, of healing met methodologies. Uh, and even uh, there's a new book out, uh, the, the immortality key. So how, how do you think we should proceed for these next 40, 45 minutes to kind of uh, tease, should we tease people or overwhelm them with specifics or, <laughs> or, or, or talk about your, uh, where, where your passion lies? Good question. I, I think we could work our way up to the clinic because that's maybe the most recent okay. um, kind of a development in a way. Um, you know, we could, we could touch on so many things, um, some of the, the issues with, you know, could cover a little bit about the promise of psychedelics, some of the issues yeah, that are being faced, okay. maybe. Yeah, let, let's address that. Sure, sure, sure. The promises and challenges, absolutely. That is kind of the, the generic topic of the show. So yeah, let, let's jump in in that regard. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess, you know, and again, we could be, could give whole lectures on this, but I think the uh, you know, there's just in the last 10 years been increasing research and attention being paid to these class of medicines called psychedelics that, uh, you know, were include things like psilocybin from, from mushrooms, they include LSD, they include other um, compounds from uh, psychedelic plants uh, like mescaline and ayahuasca, um, iboga from the African context. And um, increasingly, you know, trying to bring these these medicines into a more uh, Western medical context. And as you, you know, maybe worth pausing to say to allude to what you were talking about at the beginning, um, that although this is a new field of medicine, that actually the uh, 
these compounds, psychedelics, especially those found in plants and, and fungi, this is not, this is not a new thing, as you pointed out, that actually indigenous groups have been working with these med medicines and plants for actually thousands of years. Yes. Uh, and we have archaeological evidence of that that really goes back at least 7,000 years in some cases to mushroom use um, and, and at least three, three 4,000 years just in, in Mesoamerica uh, with mushrooms and, and centuries of, of use in other parts of um, South America and um, as well as other parts of the world in Algeria, the cave paintings from from seven thousand years. So, so you know, this is not it's not new. Of course, the psychedelics weren't exclusively used for healing purposes. There was a range of of uses, but certainly healing purposes has been part of that. And so we're, um, you know, in some ways trying to, at its best, integrate, but at its worst, sort of appropriate um, some of these knowledges that have been accumulating over such long periods of time and, and adapt them into a Western context. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this sort of story also was starting to happen back in the 50s and 60s when some research started to happen and then was, was shut down uh, largely for political reasons more than medical. Um, and now we're seeing this, this kind of resurgence of interest and uh, people doing all kinds of interesting work from the more neurobiological and even cellular mm -hmm. uh, mechanistic kind of work to understand how to, how do psychedelics affect the brain and the body in different ways to doing the clinical research studies and, and also some more cultural and, and social science kind of work that I'm certainly interested in, um, you know, not only understanding better how these compounds are used in different cultures around the world, but also what, what are the issues, social, political, and economic in, in our context that uh, limit the maximum benefit of these medicines being, being ruled out. And so that's a little bit of what I was referring to around the issues with uh, diversity um, in the field. And, you know, how are the as these new medications kind of roll out, um, will the benefits be distributed equally? Or like so many other medical interventions, will they um, only be really accessible and affordable to, to smaller segments of the population? And again, as I said, will the, the evidence that's generated only also be based on sub-segments of, uh, of the population and making it less clear how uh, broadly generalizable the, the so-called promise is if we haven't actually looked at applications in different groups and um, you know there's a good there's good reasons historical reasons why this why we're seeing this a lack of diversity uh, in particular in this area um, which I mean is a huge topic in and of itself but mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. myself and dr. Williams and some of her, um, grad students actually wrote a paper a couple of years ago looking at actually some of the historical abuses um, amongst communities of color when psychedelics were first being studied back uh, in the 50s in mm -hmm. places like Kentucky and, and them being administered in sort of coercive manners, unethical manners. And, and of course, that's there's a long, I'm sure you've discussed on this show, a long legacy of abuses yes. within the medical system against communities of color. So. 
Indeed, indeed. You know, just just as you were talking, and, and again, you alluded to the social justice issue and the diversity and equity inclusion issue. I want to pivot just for a second, just to center people that your research in terms of clinical trials has been really uh, significant, and your connection with with really the uh, other institutions that are in place and and the national organ national and international organiz organizations that are beyond that are credible to the max, but also uh, Dr. Schlossheyer, share with us, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it was a year ago that the, because Harry, our station manager, we were talking just before we went on air about, you know, legalization, what states will it be adopting, but you were involved with a, a study group, I believe, for the, the state of Connecticut kind of uh, asked you to kind of come on, and, and there was a study that, that was con conducted just to kind of, not that we need credibility, but I think people might be interested to hear that even uh, th this the state of Connecticut, the land of, of uh, you know, what have you heard, patient habits or whatever, still had a, had a study group that, that you were involved with. Maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that'll actually give me, I'll take one step back and just share a tiny bit about like the legal landscape and availability of psychedelics currently, and then get into what we were doing in Connecticut. And then that yeah. actually might lead into the clinic Great. piece. Um, so, you know, as a a legacy of, of Richard Nixon and, and the Controlled Substances Act back in 1970, all drugs considered to be psychedelics were placed into Schedule One, you know, along with heroin, cannabis, considered to be, you know, of no medical use and uh, of maximum danger. Um, we could debate the, the scientific, there's not a lot of science to actually back that, but that's what happened. Um, and so that's that's actually still where we are at a, a federal level. Um, now, the biggest breakthroughs were that um, MDMA and psilocybin have both been given breakthrough status by the FDA uh, within the past four years or so, as the, the clinical evidence kind of is mounting that there actually may be some real medical benefit here. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the breakthrough status designates that there may be significant benefit above existing treatments. And so mm -hmm. they're given some fast tracking and, and special attention. Um, so that's quite promising, but those studies are still ongoing. So at the moment, uh, MDMA therapy and psilocybin therapy are not clinically available. They're only available in research contexts um, still in the country, though, um, MAPS is who's the uh, spawn the nonprofit sponsor of the MDMA trials for PTSD are um, have completed their sort of pivotal phase three studies. So we may be close to seeing some regulatory changes there. Mm -hmm. And as because they've gotten fairly far along the line, they actually uh, created what's called an, an expanded access program, um, which is was meant to um, open up this treatment uh, to in select locations to start getting some more like sort of real world uh, clinics ad administering the treatment and getting data. So it's it's still um, under a, a research protocol, but it's a, re a relaxed research protocol compared to their typical ones. And this, um, we actually in Connecticut are lucky to have one of the 10 sites uh, that are currently available um, and that's uh, the Behavioral Wellness Clinic up in Tallinn, Connecticut, which Dr. Williams um, is the founder of, and mm -hmm. her and myself are uh, the co-investigators for this expanded access program. So we actually, unfortunately, don't have all of our approvals yet and haven't treated our first patient. But if 
uh, we hope that that will actually get underway um, later this year. And we do have, um, and again, based on Dr. Williams' interest, we are focusing on the application of this treatment for racial trauma, mm -hmm. um, which is not, that's unique to our site here in Connecticut. Um, because again, that that's just not something that had been looked at specifically. So yes. um, if anyone is interested in uh, joining the wait list for that for that program, again, it's it's still a wait list, but you can uh, actually reach out to the administrators at, at behavioral wellness clinic or be well um, dot, dot com and and get added to the wait list if that's something of interest. Um, so we have, you know, that expanded access framework, but that's sort of through maps. And then different states around the country were starting to say, okay, well, what, what do we want to do? What are the different approaches now that um, it looks like, well, hey, psychedelics may not be a, as dangerous as previously thought, and there may be some therapeutic potential. So um, we've seen in the last year a flurry of legislative activity, some at the state level, some more at the municipal level, doing a mix of things. Some um, are more along the lines of decriminalization and just simply um, saying that in some cases, making possession of psychedelic compounds just the lowest possible priority. So we're not going to prosecute people or consider it a criminal offense to be um, possessing these drugs. Um, and then in some cases, like Oregon and Colorado being the more notable ones at a state level, they, they are now legalizing certain forms of use of these compounds in a kind of supervised context. So it's been quite an interesting model there because it's not a fully a medical model. You don't actually need to be like a patient um, with a diagnosis to seek this, quote, treatment. It's actually like, like a service, like service centers. So People still need to be trained. You need to be licensed to have a service center. But at least in Oregon, the idea is that really anyone um, can come in and, and receive this kind of supervised service to make it safe. So they're not going to be selling mushrooms for people to take home. But for those who want to come in, there'll be sort of a process. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of focusing on the safety aspect there. Um, but broadly making it more uh, more available. So it's that's quite an interesting approach. And then here in yeah. Connecticut, um, you know, so I think there was a process to say, uh, to say, hey, what what if anything do we want to do in Connecticut? And um, Demas and, and some of the folks convened a working group process. And that's what, what you were referring to that I was able to, mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't on the working group, but I presented to the working group a couple of times um, and here in Connecticut, I think maybe being slightly more uh, conservative, that kind of Oregon style program, I don't think seemed like an imminent reality, but what we, something I had suggested that I think we landed on and has moved forward was this idea of, hey, well, let's, let's create an, ex uh, an expanded access program mm. here that's, uh, you know, again, the, the one for maps is national and Connecticut just has one site, but what if Connecticut itself develop some infrastructure for an expanded access program, um, both for psilocybin and uh, MDMA. The state um, funds some of this to address the, the significant costs. And again, it was seen as kind of, well, let's also train up several sites around the state so that when 
the medicines like MDMA or psilocybin actually get regulatory approval, Connecticut's going to be a bit ahead of the game. We'll have a few mm. um, centers that have already been administering this that have uh, yeah, the capacity and will have built up and then also be doing it um, in a way that we're collecting data, ensuring safety, getting some more information, partnering with Yale um, to do that. And so that you know, that was the idea um, mm. of the program. And um, I think there's still some challenges to turning it into reality. It, it passed some legislative hurdles. I think it hasn't been funded yet. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the logistical, uh, there's still some logistical barriers to actually getting it to the finish line. But, uh, you know, I think it's at least exciting that Connecticut has made some moves and it passed, this, uh, you know, at least the state legislature seemed to approve of the idea of, of a program such as that. Is that exciting for you? Do you feel centered or do you feel that you're right up in the mix and 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 key and key to this the, the struggle unfolding, or is it just kind of a blase kind of experience for you? Oh no, I mean this is really this whole area is really a huge passion of mine. I mean this is kind of in a lot of ways become a my raison d'être, and uh, um, you know I mean I think it's I, I try to. Um, I'd say I'm not only sort of a cheerleader for the field, but also a critic increasingly, because I think as this, um, I do want to see the, these medicines being uh, rolled out safely and, and ethically into society. I think there's benefit to be had, but as, um, you know, I think a lot of things can go wrong as well. They are powerful medicines and also there's powerful economic interests that are Indeed. Cl clamoring in um, into the space very quickly in the same way that kind of the mm -hmm. cannabis industry exploded. Um, you know, there's some slide, you know, things I could show you that I think the, the psychedelics industry now, which is a new term, is but it's 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 uh, estimated to be of, of b worth billions of dollars already, even though the, the treatments aren't there. So, we, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, pharma startups and just just folks clamoring into the space who really don't have a long history of not or knowledge of these compounds saying oh how do i either get involved how do i make a buck off of this and and i think that's uh so there's some concerns that i have around around that but overall you know watching the space i think it is an exciting time um not only for you know, those of us looking for new approaches to therapy, and and I can say that actually doing the therapy itself, and I've had the you know the pleasure of sitting with um, thirty about thirty participants in the clinical trials, do the psilocybin work, and now increasingly patients who we're doing ketamine assisted psychotherapy with. I mean, it's just uh, really gratifying work as a clinician, and that for me, that's the stuff that really um feels very beautiful and exciting um before we go to the to the clinic and again it's located just uh near edgewood park uh, i wondered um if you could talk a little bit about jo jordan about the the role of yale and hopkins and harvard and stanford to uh not let big pharma and investors take over this new opportunity? Hmm. Big question. Um, 
I can give it a stab. It's, um, I mean, the relationship between large academic institutions and pharma is always fluctuating and the different partnerships. I think, you know, the interesting thing was with this area was that this was kind of a black sheep, right? Psychedelics for the last 30 years. And it was only within the academic institutions like Hopkins, Johns Hopkins really being the first leader to revive this research and then NYU, Yale, um, UCLA, now increasingly other schools, UCSF, some but prominent schools starting to see in the Boston area. Um, were, you know, the academic centers were the ones who revived really the science and like, let's do this in a rigorous way. And so have played a very key role along with nonprofit organizations like MAPS and like USONA Institute, who were, are these nonprofit um, drug development agencies essentially that said that, you know, we're, we're very much more mission driven and saying, you know, this isn't, at least for a while, pharma wasn't gonna pick this up um, for one thing, again, because psilocybin, MDMA, these are these are old compounds, you can't easily, patent these medicines, though we've seen very interesting efforts by companies yeah. to um, yeah. issue all kinds of patents on them. Yeah. But, you know, something like psilocybin itself is an ancient molecule found in all kinds of mushroom species. So I think initially it wasn't seen like a too attractive to big pharma. But, um, and so, so it, it's been stewarded by the large institutions and now, as well as then the nonprofits. So I think that's really been the heart of the field for 10 years. And now we are seeing a range of different um, companies coming in who want, you know, to uh, try to develop the medicines. And I think they're, we're seeing different approaches. And we, you know, I try to be open minded, because some have more of a social, uh, social consciousness, and others, maybe less so, but we do know the reality of bringing, I think even the nonprofits, ESON and MAPS would attest to the the reality is of actually taking a medicine through the full FDA process is really costs. I don't know if it's tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just kind of exorbitant um, what's actually required to. And that is for these medicines, you know, we can't just use them off label mm -hmm. except for ketamine, which I, I'll, I'll get to because that is um, not schedule one, but the other ones are all schedule one, meaning it's only available in research context. So to get them out, of schedule one would either require legislative action like is ha happening in some states um, or FDA approval to definitively say, no, there is medical benefit here. And then the FDA would be required to um, reschedule those, those drug compounds, at least the ones put forward by the companies. Excellent. We have about 20 minutes and I, I do want to go to your, your being the co-founder <clears throat> excuse me, the co-founder of the Westville Clinic. But before we do, you've you referenced racial trauma and share with me a little bit about your, your views, your insights, your optimism about how some of these modalities might um, alleviate, improve the, uh, limit the, the effects of racial trauma. I mean, we hear this phrase, racism is a public health crisis in various states and municipalities have passed ordinances, et cetera, et cetera. But that seems to me to be just a policy statement but I hear you saying that there might be some effective way of dealing with the individual issues of the impact of racial trauma. Would you say a little bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. And I, I want to acknowledge um, with some humility that, that I'm 
I'm not an expert in this area and that I owe a lot um, to Dr. Monica Williams, especially uh, for sort of taking me under her wing along uh, in doing some of this work, which was an interest of mine, um, as well as, you know, a number of other um, Black leaders in the psychedelic space, Darren Smith and Nicole Buchanan, who are also publishing on this area and, and writing um, and doing the, the work that's needed to lay the groundwork uh, to, to actually show the benefit here, as well as um, my colleague Terrence Ching, who actually I think we also connected with around the ambassadors. So mm -hmm. a number of um, researchers of color who are really leading in the area. But what um, you know, what what I could say, I think the story was that uh, Dr. Williams and others were very clear that, as you said, that racial trauma is kind of an not only an under-recognized and under-treated thing that exists. Um, people are, you know, that the DSM, which is our sort of manual in psychiatry, often was not set up to capture racial trauma as PTSD. And so there was a move to sort of break down that barrier and, and say, no, you know, chronic exposure to microaggressions and racial uh, discrimination actually can result in symptoms that very much look like PTSD and are mm -hmm. uh, under-recognized. And so they've done a nice uh, job building on that line of work. And actually, you know, Dr. Williams has even developed scales to measure that so that we can start doing the research um, in this area. And then, you know, the next sort of line of, of logic here is that we don't have great treatments for PTSD in general. And there is also data that uh, communities of color with PTSD are either not accessing those treatments or they're dropping out um, at higher rates than non-Hispanic whites. Um, and then, and so then saying, well, hey, look at this data coming out about MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD. Um, you know, communities of color actually have a long history of using psychedelic plants in South America and Africa. And we got to, you know, while these drugs are were sometimes in, in, in the U.S. context seen as sort of white drugs back in the hippie movement, there's actually, hey, let's reclaim that. Let's reclaim our cultural history with these and actually look at the potential to use psychedelic healing to address um, potentially racial trauma. And so now in more recent years, we're seeing uh, some studies and data coming out to actually support that notion mm -hmm. um, that there is promise here, whether it be um, my colleague Terrence Ching looking at the data from the MAPS, MAPS studies and actually breaking down the, the cohorts of looking at how um, people of color did in those studies versus uh, the non-Hispanic white population showing actually no difference that they did as well. Um, and as well being pretty, pretty well, um, mm -hmm. like 70% remission rates, so, so quite a bit of success, um, as well as some survey level studies that have been done uh, nationwide asking people of color who also have had experiences of racial discrimination and had a psychedelic experience getting their pre-post ratings of uh, their mental well-being and also seeing some, some improvements there. So uh, at least some some initial you know indication that that this is promising or at least worthy of further study Excellent. Um, in this area. And that's what we're hoping to do at our site here in 
that I mentioned in Tallinn, Connecticut, is, is then actually recruit people specifically um, who've had experiences of, of racial trauma and, and provide the MDMA-assisted therapy and do some um, pre-post and see um, how, it's, how that, that works. And again, continue to um, build up our capacity um, of, provi of providing culturally attuned care as well, uh, mm. training a range of providers, providers of color to administer this treatment. I've, I've, I've been known, Dr. Schlesauer, to put my foot in my mouth, my toes in my mouth, uh, all my appendages in my mouth. So I want to ask a question that it might, might fulfill that prophecy. Do, in terms of the self-reports, do people say, do they come out of the, the experience, the healing experiences, loving more, loving themselves more, hating white people more, loving white people more, um, loving the world more, uh, being more active and, and strategic in their, their revolutionary thoughts? What are some of the self-reports that you hear? I, that's a really great question. I actually don't think I can speak to that. I don't know that they collected that data and I, I haven't yet treated some, been able to treat someone and see sort of the qualitative work. There was um, the but one how, paper. How, how do you know that it, that it's helped, that it's, that, that you've, that you've had, a, that the person's had a success and so they can say they feel better. I mean, they go in saying I'm, I'm depressed or I feel, you know, it's limited, but how do they, how do you know that, how do you measure their their, their journey of being more of a, on an upswing than a downswing. Yeah, those those studies have used like the, the gold, the standardized measures that are used in clinical trials, like standardized measures to assess PTSD symptoms, to assess depression and anxiety, and then measure it before and after mm -hmm. um, as far as getting those more like rich qualitative reports. Um, hasn't been as much, but actually I would, um, Dr. Williams, along with some of her colleagues, Sarah Reed, um, they published a very interesting paper for those that might be interested about their, they un underwent their own MDMA therapy as part of their training and gave some more of their, their own qualitative reports of what it was like as women of color um, and therapists of color to actually go through that treatment and, and shared some of their own, uh, their own journeys with that. So that, that paper was published in, um, could be an interesting one for sure and sounds like someone that I, I might ask you to I might lean on you to ask ask uh, Dr. Williams if we might chat with her in the future let's let's, let's jump to, to Westville I mean I live right around right around the corner in uh, knowing you through the Yale Center for Clinical Investigation of Cultural Ambassadors knew about the Tallinn thing I've looked at some of your YouTube videos and, and selfishly just uh, want to say I'm uh, I, I live right around the corner so I'm, I'm interested in the clinic for for personal reasons and, and friends that I know are definitely are going to be interested in it. So it's kind of walk us through. Uh, people ask me oft times what the show is about. The show is about uh, my guests talking about their their passion, their purpose, and their product. I mean, it's it's not a it's it's not a commercial thing. It's just people sharing their passion, their purpose, and their product. So so walk us through this. I'm excited about this uh, this new venture in, in yeah. West, West Rock Westville. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it because it's been kind of years in the making, at least for me. And I'd say I rewind like five years ago. I mean, I as I was doing the research, I was also kind of dreaming up, well, what would, what would it look like to have this like model clinic, I was calling it, that actually was able to roll out these treatments if we could, if it was legal. And kind of as a thought experiment, I, I published a book chapter um, on this kind of topic of a model clinic in uh, 
one of Chakruna's books, Chakruna Institute publishes a lot of great mm -hmm. uh, books and, and articles. You could check them out as well, um, especially on um, social justice and, and diversity. So this audience may be interested in their work. Um, so I'd been mulling around this idea of having a clinic um, for, for quite a few years. And, um, you know, my I was then kind of immersed in the research side of things for uh, the better part of the last five, six years. And as I kind of finished my training and kind of wanting to have my feet in a few different areas. But what was clear to me was that given the legal status of psychedelics and that they're still uh, very much only available in research contexts and the research studies, um, while cr critically important, there's so, um, so many complexities in running a, a, a clinical trial with phase one. Uh, sorry, schedule one drugs and and um, and you can't do practice clinically um, in, in so flexibly in those contexts. And right. so it was like just increasingly became clear, you know, I need a place. I want to create a clinic where we can start to develop this treatment model in the way that we see fit without some of the um, regulatory and institutional barriers and. Um, you know, it was just this beautiful uh, kind of evolution and, and process of getting to know my uh, my colleagues with this venture that's now become West Rock Wellness. Um, so Stephanie Kilpatrick, who was was a study therapist in my psilocybin studies, and Jamila Hokinson, um, who also came through the psychiatry residency program, and we met with an initial interest in integrative medicine, but also. Um, in issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and her increasing interest in psychedelics. And so um, as along with, you know, several other folks who've been involved in uh, the psychedelic space at Yale, who I um, give, a, give a lot of credit to for, for this whole journey. But eventually we um, came together and, and just opportunely found this space here in Westville, that's right, uh, actually around the corner of where I live and in our neighborhood. And we've been living in Westville for years and have a real uh, affinity with this neighborhood. And so then the ability to actually bring this project forward in our neighborhood. And, and you know, the idea here is, um, is multifaceted, but we really are looking to um, pair a, a holistic and integrative approach to mental health with community and with with group processes and so not just you know we do provide a range of um, more traditional mental health services you know i'm a psychiatrist jamila is a psychiatrist stephanie is a, a wonderful psychologist who does a lot of trauma therapy um, but we also have the whole sort of wellness side and community side where we want to pair uh, almost make this like a community wellness center a place where we bring in different practitioners to share their gifts and kind of come together as a as a healing community um, and a community center here where people come. There's heal different healing opportunities, different modalities on offer, uh, whether it be you know people coming in for therapy and then doing yoga, meditation, um, you know eventually things like acupuncture, but also like group therapies and maybe art therapy. We're going to be doing music. Um, jams where we want, we want to host local artists in the space and come in, um, so, you know, really bringing together the community and different healing modalities. 
uh, is kind of is is our vision for the space. And um, the, and then the address, the address is eight forty five Whaley, eight sixty nine Whaley. Oh, 69. 869 Whaley. 869. Yeah, right. It used to be Revive Wellness, and we're right above the Keys on Kites tattoo. We're we're really brand new. Our signs aren't up, but will be up <laughs> any day. And even our website too, which will be westrockwellness.com, is not yet up, but should be up actually uh, almost any day. Great. Um, Great. And and just to say that we're we are going to be offering just as a tie back to you know the psychedelic pieces is that the one uh, and, and you may have heard about this and maybe Dr. Crystal spoke about it that the one sort of psychedelic therapy that is currently available for clinical use is ketamine actually this mm-hmm. old old drug um, ketamine and we um, lots of different ways that ketamine is now being used to address um, depression and PTSD but we're uh, at our clinic, we're very committed to an idea called uh, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is kind of using ketamine the same way we think about the MDMA and psilocybin therapies in terms of that they open up this uh, this altered altered state of consciousness, a, a different space in which the good therapeutic work can be done that might not otherwise be able to be done. And so we really pair um, administering ketamine, which can be done in flexibly in different doses, starting low, higher to produce different kinds of effects and pairing it with not only psychotherapy, but again, um, other interventions like maybe some yoga and mindfulness practice. Um, and, and, you know, the idea here is that we really want to engage people in, in meaningful healing work. Um, we're going a little beyond just come in and we're going to uh, prescribe you some pills and hope that you get better. We really want to work with people who are committed to their healing, committed to um, their self-empowerment, to living good lives, to, to community building, and hopefully really building something beautiful here over the over the next few years. Excellent. Excellent. Talk to, talk to me about the economic issues. Are, are, do you, are you accepting insurance? Uh, is it pay per per fee what's what's kind of the deal if folks wants to someone wants to kind of explore uh what really sounds exciting in terms of uh, uh holistic renovation <laughs> yeah i appreciate you asking it it's um this is really um tricky and i i hope to have increasingly hopeful answers over time you know as a at this moment we're a new startup and so we're uh, we currently, unfortunately, like many mental health practices and psychiatrists, we're currently not in network with insurances. We're out of network. Um, however, we provide uh, invoices that can be submitted for out of network benefits. And we also have a commitment to making our services um, affordable. We're really not, you know, I hope, hopefully it was clear from the vision I laid out. We're not, uh, our goal is not to just be a boutique clinic that's only available to uh, folks from upper socioeconomic statuses. And right. so we we will work with people to um, assess their situation, see what services uh, make sense and try our, our real best to make them affordable with folks. Tremendous. So we're definitely um, trying to not make cost a barrier. Um, and so that's going to be, you know, I think as we get up and running, we'll we'll see how um, how that plays out and and where we really run into barriers. And then I think um, there's a good likelihood that over time we'll we'll likely become paneled with some insurances, figure out 
hey, where are the gaps here? Who who's not able to come in here? Who who wants to, and and just find ways to to make right. this accessible. But the ketamine therapy is is intensive, um, and and we like to do it in longer sessions. So mm-hmm. the costs are um, it, it is it can be challenging from a cost perspective yes. for sure. And so, so don't be mad at me at, at the conclusion of this show if there's a line of people outside your address waiting, banging on the doors to get in. So, so uh, uh, when so when will be the kind of the official opening, or t- you know, tease us a little bit? Because sure, just... yeah, thanks. We're well, we are we're open for for clinical care, but we haven't we um, as I said, hopefully our website westrockwellness.com will be great. Uh, will be available within a week. In the meantime, you can. Just reach me by email at jordan.slowshower at westrockwellness.com. And Perfect. Uh, hopefully Perfect. you can figure out how to spell slow shower correctly. It's <laughs> S-L-O-S-H-O-W-E-R. Or you can find me also on my web, my Yale web webpage um, and, and send me an email in the meantime. Um, and then we will be um, having, you know, more of a formal community opening and hopefully yes. um, for Art Walk. Coming up in the spring, I think we're mm-hmm. going to um, open up our space and we may, may be hosting some local art um, up there. So trying to welcome people into the space so as you walk walk down Whaley, you'll hopefully see our, our logo and sign, which will be up by then. And Excellent. feel free to come in and, and inquire, you know, about what services uh, may be of interest for sure. Tremendous. Uh, Jordan, we have about four more minutes. Let's kind of maximize the time and whatever might be on your mind that we haven't, haven't discussed. And I really have, this has been really helpful for me to kind of, to, 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 to hear, to hear your comments. When I was in divinity school, literally back in 71, I wrote a paper where I thought Buddha and Jesus were the same person and also did some research on peyote. So this was, it's been several decades that I've had an interest in what you're now manifesting and so I'm, I'm personally really invested in seeing, seeing us reap, reap, reap our, our ancient reparation legacy and, and bring it in, bring it into fruition. Yeah. I mean, being, having been such a pillar in the community, Tom, and having that interest, I'd also love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how we could show up um, in the community um, and any, you know, just to say I'm super open to feedback and your thoughts and suggestions as we launch this. Oh, for um, sure. And, for yeah. sure. For sure. And, and how we can make our, our center um, welcome to a diverse, diverse communities from New Haven, which which is really what we want to see. So I'll certainly jot some notes to you. And as an alder, I don't normally talk about on my shows that I am the alder from War 28, but that means a specific thing. There are 30 wards in New Haven, but also there are policies and practices that the, that the city uh, implements and frustrates and sometimes inspires. So, you know, that we want to make sure that, see that the city has, has a warm and Welcome reception to what what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, definitely. I pre- you, you will hear this. This is just the beginning. This is our our baptism or bar mitzvah or sprinkling or whatever the case the, the, the case might be. Uh, and for the last two minutes, any any kind of closing thoughts or, or uh, per- perspective or inspiration you want to share with folks? Um, um, yeah, you know, this is this is such a an exciting new area. There may be like all kinds of feelings and questions and thoughts that come up for people if they think about this therapy. I think we our, our hope is to also have some sort of information sessions just come come in and find out more about this about this uh, these modalities as you continue hearing about them. Um, 
So, you know, just want to create an inviting space for people who just are hearing about it, maybe want, are curious, want to learn a little bit more, um, see if, if this may be a potential avenue um, of healing. And also, as I said, we're really looking to also bring in um, diverse practitioners who may bring, you know, bring together this um, holistic community of practitioners, whether it be, oh, you know, I offer um, art therapy or dance therapy and something that maybe someone has an idea of what might pair well with psychedelic therapy. And so uh, feel free to reach out to us if you want to uh, in some way become part of the West Rock wellness family or have have thoughts and or ideas for us as we're in this growth phase. We really would appreciate that. That's tremendous. And, and, and Jordan, how are you able to balance your, your research and your academic, you know, hats with, with now your, um, when I say business, I'm not being sarcastic now about 30 more seconds, but is that, is that a, a new challenge or a new, do you guys feel that you're uh, becoming more like Hercules or what, what's going on there? Oh, and not to mention the family and having a, an amazing <laughs> two-year-old two at home. I can't forget about that. That's right. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It is a lot for sure. Um, but, um, and so always, you know, learning to manage and, and live a, a big life and be doing lots of things and, and learning to say no to some things for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and follow, you know, but I've always been someone who follows my passions um, you know, when something feels exciting, how do I make, how do I make time for that, make it work? And I do think we're at, at least with the clinic now we're at that point of some of the administrative hurdles are behind us and we get to focus on, on the good stuff and br bringing in, um, other folks to do some of the offerings. So, not, you know, hopefully it's not going to, it's not all on me or my two colleagues. We're going to be a, a community building it Excellent. together. Community building is a key. Community building is a key. Harry, that's we're, we're kind of going to, going to conclude. Jordan, thank you so much for kind of taking the time. And you've given me about seven ideas, about seven more shows, but I'll email you about those. Uh, but that, that's really just my trying to articulate my, my interest in, I think, really, uh, really significant reasons that we can move. The old Rodney King thing, can we all get along? Can we really make that a, a, a truth? a truth statement in our daily lives. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Thank you. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, because they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down, I just got to get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Yeah, this is my run Now you gon' face the dawn you waiting for I said from night to dawn I write my wrongs alarming Competition with warnings Ice galore Now I'm running toward them highlights I'm finished being the 